after the April 25 event, of the seven Politburo Standing Committee members, other than Jiang Zemin, all were against the persecution campaign. Jiang Zemin figured that everybody had a weakness, and everybody could be bribed, as long as one was firmly in control of state power, anything could be done. Li Lanqing's son had been cleared of 1 billion yuan lawsuit by Jiang Zemin, which was used as leverage by Jiang to force Li Lanqing to join his side. On June 10, 1999, a group or organization headed by Li Lanqing was formed, thus gaining the name 610 Office. The 610 Office is in every sense of the term a legal organization. There are no legal basis for either its formation or its existence. It's the same as the CCP Central Committee Leadership Group, as it was called, that came about during the Cultural Revolution. The only purpose of 610 Office was to bypass the law, bypass the normal examination of approval funds and personnel, and mobilize the entire country's means of suppression to persecute Falun Gong. The illegal organization's head was none others than Jiang Zemin. All of its orders were given in secret by Zhang, who feared to leave evidence of his doings. When he sent out orders through the office he never signed his name. Orders such as beating Falun Gong followers to death is to be labeled as suicide, then cremate them without identifying the bodies, destroy their reputation, cut them off financially, eradicate them physically. On July 19, Jiang gave the order to carry out the suppression. Over 10,000 police with guns fully loaded entered Beijing, while the military stationed outside the city went into red alert. On July 20, Jiang gave orders to carry out arrests throughout the country. All those deemed key Falun Gong members were either arrested or taken from their homes for interrogations by the CCP. On July 29, Jiang even tried to extradite Falun Gong's founder Mr. Li Hongji to China through Interpol. The move was denied outright. Jiang thus ordered the destructions of all Falun Gong books, audios, video materials, and other paraphernalia. He also gave orders that any website that might carry true stories and information about Falun Gong be blocked. Thus the only information on Falun Gong that people could obtain was from the state-run media which were fully controlled by Jiang. Newspapers, magazines, broadcast stations and TV channels everywhere were put into high gear carrying a litany of articles and programs that smeared and slandered Falun Gong and its founder Mr. Li Hongji. Almost everyone was coerced into following the government and supporting the persecution and the propaganda was broadcast and printed in every corner of the country. Jiang made use of Hong Kong media which had been paid off to malign Falun Gong. For example, Liu Changla, CEO of the Hong Kong-based Phoenix Satellite Television, is an undercover agent, under the Joint Chief of Staff of the People's Liberation Army. From early morning on July 20th on, great numbers of Falun Gong practitioners poured into Beijing to voice their grievances, file petitions with government leaders, and assert their legitimate right to practice Falun Gong. Jiang continued to insist that the most severe and extreme measures be used in dealing with those of Falun Gong who petitioned higher authorities. Measures including fine, imprisonment, removal from jobs, the punishment of family and implicating one's work unit. In the several months after that, the numbers of Falun Gong practitioners who gathered to petition leaders in various districts of Beijing reached upward of 300,000 while around 700,000 came forward to petition on behalf of Falun Gong in Beijing suburbs, with many stayed in the area for a prolonged period. What Jiang had found hard to understand was that the Falun Gong practitioners, who continued to petition and demonstrate, were not swayed by any of his measures. Jiang just could not fathom that there are people in this world who would not give up their beliefs for material gains and ease. The conviction held by Falun Gong followers also made Jiang envy Falun Gong's founder Mr. Li Hongji. This only spurred Jiang's eagerness to suppress Falun Gong. 
On the day the persecution in China began, Mr. Li Hongji made a public statement calling for support and help of governments around the world, international organizations, and kind-hearted people, asking for help resolving the crisis unfolding in China. He expressed a wish that the Chinese government and its leaders would not consider Falun Gong practitioners as enemies. Over the next several days, Mr. Li talked with reporters from various countries stating and restating that Falun Gong did not pose a threat to any political regime, and instead could only benefit a government, a country or a people. Mr. Li's words clarified the truth to many people overseas who were confused about Falun Gong. On October 26, 1999, a dozen-plus Falun Gong practitioners had made three layers of police surveillance, and had held a press conference in a hotel in a suburb of Beijing. They told international reporters of their experiences doing Falun Gong, and of the physical and spiritual good, it brought them. They also discussed the reality of brutal suppression they faced in China. Many reporters who were stationed in Beijing attended the press conference and reported accurately. Zhang was in France at the time. Upon learning the news he screamed, tell Luo Gong to resolve this immediately. Round up all of the Falun Gong practitioners who attended the conference and have them killed. I refuse to believe that we cannot finish Falun Gong. In the year that followed, most of those who attended the conference were sentenced to prison, put in forced labor camps, or had gone missing. Two people, Ding Yan and Tsai Ming Tao, are known to have been killed. Governments of the free world and human rights organizations responded promptly. Between July and December of 1999, many statements were made strongly condemning the CCP's campaign, a campaign that violated human rights and freedom, and calling for the release of the jailed and detained victims. Statements were made by the Canadian government, the World Federation of the United Nations Association, and the Senate and House of Representatives of both Australia and the United States. In 2001, Asia Week announced that Mr. Lee was the most influential figure in Asia in that year. Asia Week stated that even facing the CCP's forced suppression, the influence of Falun Gong continued to steadily increase. Even though Mr. Li Hongji made fewer public appearances he was still deeply respected and supported by Falun Gong practitioners. Jiang Zemin's envy and hatred only grew deeper. Right from the beginning, Jiang Zemin's suppression of Falun Gong was lacking followers. Even his former boss Li Peng advised him to be judicious. Premier Zhu Rongji had grown so jaded and dejected, that he was throwing his towel, ceded all his domains to Jiang Zemin, and did not show his face on television. Hu Jintao, the heir apparent to China's throne, and Li Changchun remained bystanders and onlookers. They weren't willing to go down history as shameful persecutors like Jiang Zemin. Many cities and provinces weren't interested in carrying out the persecution, they were derelict. Jiang felt he had no choice, but make a trip to Guangdong province, to supervise in person the campaign against Falun Gong there. Guangdong province, in the end, began sending Falun Gong adherents to forced labor camps. Among the first ones was a college classmate of Hu Jintao, named Zhang Mengyi. Jiang Zemin killed two birds with one stone, set a precedent for the persecution in Guangdong, 
and gave Hu Jintao a bad name for selling out his classmate. Jiang Haju Rongji come to speak with him. He warned Zhu that the most important of the three emphases was stressing politics, and right now the suppression of Falun Gong was the most important political issue. After leaving Jiang's office, Zhu was visibly taciturn. Not long afterward, Zhu did take a stand in support of Jiang's decision to persecute, a stand at odds with his own convictions. Perhaps he didn't want to suffer the pain being labeled as rightist, or perhaps he thought about the pitiful predicament of Zhao Ziyang. When it came to the rather moronic move to persecute Falun Gong, however, nobody was willing to do much for Jiang. Jiang had to rush to the forefront at every stage. It was he, China's top leader, who at the APEC conference stood to hand each head of state a small pamphlet maligning Falun Gong. Jiang was hopeful that these heads of state would do what he often denounced other for doing, to meddle with China's internal affairs, and express approval of his suppression. He does not understand that the freedom of faith is a natural right of mankind. Not one head of state dared to say Jiang's persecution campaign was reasonable. On the contrary, many criticized the persecution of Falun Gong in mainland China. Three months passed, the suppression faced with pressures from other nations, and increased numbers of domestic petitioners. And quite many retired high-ranking officials felt terrible about Jiang's suppressive campaign. Such sentiments and the topic of stopping the persecution and offering Falun Gong a readdress were coming up at the meetings of the Politburo. Jiang was extremely displeased. If Falun Gong were readdressed, it would mean to the whole world that he had admitted his own wrongdoing. Jiang sought Zheng Qinghong and Bo Yibo's advice. The crafty Zheng told Jiang that if he wanted to intensify the suppression, he must force everybody to get involved by making the suppression part of every official's performance. Whoever failed to perform, had to face dismissal. The cruel Bo Yibo pitched in with additional advice, we must have the provinces kill some Falun Gong practitioners. Once it involved lives, they will have to go along with the party, to carry out the crackdown. Jiang also appointed his son, Jiang Mianhang, as vice president of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, to further control the highest body of science and education. He ordered Liu Yongxiang, president of the academy, to organize a group of academics, to promote science and atheism, as a means of criticizing Falun Gong, and asked him to convert China's most accomplished scientist, and most influential Qigong supporter, Xian Shui-sen. Zhang utilized his son's company, China Network, to enforce internet control. However, many overseas Falun Gong students were well-trained scientists, they broke through the blockade with new technology, and kept in touch with fellow practitioners inside China to expose the persecution, and provided them with updated information on news and developments overseas. In the first three months, during which Falun Gong adherents were being unlawfully arrested, several were tortured to death. As Jiang Zemin thought about the tremendous pressure he was facing from the international community, he realized that he had overlooked something. While plotting the persecution, he had not established a legal basis for arresting and charging Falun Gong followers. If Falun Gong were to be finished off, Jiang believed, this hole would have to be plugged. So, on October 30, 1999, a National People's Congress incited by Jiang put forth a decision to punish the alleged cult. To the international community, as long as the law does not call something a crime, one cannot be convicted for it. A new law cannot make a person guilty of acts committed before the law was enacted. Jiang wanted, however, to use laws made in October to convict Falun Gong followers arrested in July. It should be pointed out that even today, Chinese law has not banned Falun Gong. 
even though Jiang ordered the Ministry of Public Security to publish an announcement with six bans, such as banning a person from doing Falun Gong or petitioning the government on its behalf, the Ministry of Public Security is not a legislative body. The six bans thus have no legal validity. Furthermore, the anti-cult legislations that the People's Congress passed in October 1999, cannot be legally used to convict Falun Gong adherents of being cult members, for when a law is created, it can only designate certain behaviors as violating the law, not a certain group of people by their identity. The rhetoric denouncing Falun Gong as a cult has either come from Jiang or the People's Daily, neither of which has legislative power. Their claims cannot be used as a basis for court rulings. Luo Gan acted on prompting from Jiang, and gave orders that former members of Falun Gong Research Society, Li Chang, Wang Jiwen, Ji Lai Wu, and Yao Jia were sentenced to prison the longest sentence being 18 years. What's more, Jiang Zemin arrested all of the 300-plus practitioners who were presented at the trial, even sent some of them to forced labor camps. Jiang Zemin, in the name of the law, has been violating the law himself. Jiang Zemin wants to destroy Falun Gong practitioners' reputations, cut them off financially, eradicate them physically. In May of 2000, the CCP gave the police the authority to arrest Falun Gong practitioners of their own accord without arrest warrants. To protest such unlawful arrests, in October 2000, upwards of 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners made to Tiananmen Square, and displayed banners. And thousands of adherents were even doing exercise in groups. Somebody in the Politburo was having a good laugh at Jiang Zemin. His understanding of the power of spiritual belief fell squarely within the old way of thinking of the CCP's class struggle. Although Jiang utilized the hardest means of suppression and persecution, acquired by the CCP over decades, Falun Gong just would not yield, and its practitioners protest peacefully. No one attempts to retaliate or resort to any kind of violence. Jiang was utterly helpless in the face of the unarmed Falun Gong followers. At times, Falun Gong adherents appeared that they were being assisted by a higher power. For example, in October 2000, more than 10 Falun Gong practitioners were handcuffed and taken into the detention center. However, after they entered the cell, all of their handcuffs simultaneously came off. All the guards and inmates were dumbfounded. Afterward, no one dared to make any trouble for the practitioners. When Jiang Zemin read the report on this, he was left in a cold sweat and dared not to think about it anymore. All Jiang could do, was simply intensify the efforts to win the 610 officers over, with money and power. After they carried out the persecution orders, they were rewarded with bonuses and promotions. Under the bribery and intimidation by Jiang and CCP, the last thread of innate kindness was destroyed in some of the law enforcement officials, their wicked side engorged quickly. They persecute and torture Falun Gong practitioners in many cruel and inhuman ways. Chen Zixu, 58, a woman practitioner from Weifang, Shandong province, refused to renounce her faith in Falun Gong. After repeated jolts from cattle prod by the police, she was forced to run barefoot in the snow. She vomited and collapsed, 
never gained consciousness and died on February 21st. Two days of tortures left her body too horrible to look at. The police claimed that she had died from a sudden heart attack, and extorted 3,000 yuan fees from her daughter. The Wall Street Journal reporter, Ian Johnson, wrote a report on Chen Zishu, later won the Pulitzer Prize for his series of stories on Falun Gong. However, the Chinese government detained Chen's daughter, because she told the truth, and appealed for justice for her mother. And her husband was forbidden to visit her during her detention, while the torturers were promoted one after another. Chinese psychiatric hospitals are utilized in the persecutions too, where Falun Gong followers are locked up and tortured with chemical injections. Most of the staff there are either police officers or hired thugs. They inject healthy Falun Gong followers with psychiatric drugs. In Changpin County Psychiatric Hospital, the hired thugs gang raped a nine-year-old girl at night, whose parents were Falun Gong practitioners locked up in the hospital, and later were murdered there. Still, some people wouldn't take part in the suppression. To mass more manpower, Jiang Zemin ordered a merger between the Political Defense Division and the 610 office, thereby effectively expanding the 610, to intensify its suppression of Falun Gong. As a result, the 610 offices had more power than units at any other level of the police system. The power of the 610 office within the provincial police department was so great that they can arrange an inspection of, and issue orders to, other units at the same level. But what was laughable was that very few police officers responded to the recruitment efforts on the part of 610. In the end, the assignments of personnel had to be appointed by a computer. Even within the police system, 610 becomes synonymous with messing around. Many police officers with a sense of justice refused to get involved in the persecutions. A former 610 police officer, Hao Feng Jun, who escaped to Australia in 2005, described how he felt when he was performing that job. At the office, we would often talk to each other with our mouth half-covered, voice as low as possible, and eyes darting all around. Having been in that atmosphere for a long time, we grew accustomed to speaking in this fashion even in public situations, like we are afraid of being heard, or afraid others might know what we are talking about, we are so sneaky. It's like we have developed a mental disorder. Hao Feng Jun said, Once, I rushed to work, drove to the prison of the Nankai branch of the Tianjin Public Bureau. I saw Falun Gong practitioner Sun T's eyes were so swollen because of the beating. The police officer who interrogated her was Mu Reili, the captain of the 2nd Division of the 610 Office of Bureau of the State Security. Mu was holding a steel rod, 0.6 inches in diameter, with screw threads that show blood stains and there was a high-voltage electrical baton on the table. Sun showed me her back. I was shocked. Almost her entire back had turned black. There were two gashes, of about eight inches in length, oozing blood. I also saw a policeman beating her with a metal rod, that was over a foot long. When I saw this, I knew I couldn't do this job. Hao Feng Jun spoke out to stop the suppression. As a result, he was jailed in the cell at sub-zero temperatures for more than 20 days. In Australia, Hao Feng Jun and Chen Yong Lin, a former counsel in the Chinese consulate in Sydney, Australia, who was in charge of political issues, spoke out in public about their personal experiences, exposing the merciless brutality of the CCP's persecution of Falun Gong, in and outside China. A third person, a former CCP police officer, who escaped to Australia and who was unwilling to reveal his name, told his experience to an Australian TV program Lateline, through Bernard Caleri, a well-respected attorney in Cabera. Once, he heard the sound of someone being beaten up in the police department, so he hurried to break it up, but he was told to leave. He saw a naked man, who
whose head had collapsed back into a chair. His legs were outstretched. It was obvious that he was already dead. Han Guangsheng, who was once the associate director of the Public Security Bureau in Shenyang City, Liaoning Province, escaped to Canada in September 2001. He revealed that Jiang Zemin's order at that time was primarily an effort to stop Falun Gong practitioners from going to Beijing to appeal. One of the controlling measures is that if more than three Falun Gong practitioners go to appeal, then the party's vice secretary and even the secretary of that city have to do self-criticism. To avoid that, leaders from each city started using the power of the police and a lot of money to stop Falun Gong practitioners from going to Beijing. Han Guangsheng said, Ma Sanjaya labor camp implemented all sorts of methods of torture and abuse to improve their renunciation rate. I didn't know it initially but later found out that the Ministry of Justice ordered all cities to go to Ma Sanjaya to learn their transformation techniques. The principal technique used in Ma Sanjaya is the use of electrical baton. Practitioner Gao Rong Rong, a staff member from the financial department of Lushun Academy of Fine Art in Shenyang, was shocked on her face with electrical batons, for over six hours by Tang Yubao and Zhang Jiaohua, on May 7, 2004, in Longshan labor camp. Her beautiful face was severely disfigured. One year later, Gao Rong Rong was tortured to death. From July 20, 1999, to June 2005, more than 100,000 Falun Gong adherents, including pregnant women, the elderly, and young children had been sent to forced labor camps without trial. More than 6,000 practitioners were formally sentenced to prison terms up to 20 years. Several thousand Falun Gong practitioners were detained in psychiatric hospitals and injected with drugs harmful to their nervous systems. Over 3,000 deaths under police custody have been confirmed. Moreover, the whereabouts of countless adherents are still unknown. The depth and breadth of this catastrophe are still difficult to estimate. After the persecution began, Jiang Zemin tried to extradite Falun Gong's founder to China, even by offering a reduction of $500 million in trade surplus but failed. Next, Zhongqing Hong secretly issued an assassination order to the network of Chinese agents. The Ministry of State Security and the General Staff Department of the PLA jointly set up a special task force, which was specifically in charge of learning the whereabouts of Falun Gong's founder, Master Li Hongji, as well as recruiting and training killers to prepare for the assassination of Master Li. In December 2000, Jiang learned that Mr. Li was going to Taiwan to speak before his students. In light of that, Zhongqing Hong dispatched personnel to Taiwan to secretly make contact with local criminal underworld organizations. Zheng planned assassination by offering several million dollars to assassins in Taiwan. Since Falun Gong's founder knew about their intentions, at the last minutes he announced the cancellation of his visit to Taiwan. As a result, Jiang spent the money in vain and outraged. Jiang was frustrated and went even further by issuing military orders to the task force, demanding Falun Gong founder be killed at all cost, including at the expense of human lives. 
Jang approved the expenditure of $500,000 to recruit women to form a suicide team, following the example of the Liberation Tiger of Tamil in Sri Lanka. The women were trained as human bombs, and were prepared to be dispatched to America. When Falun Gong's founder attended the experience-sharing conferences, they would pretend to be Falun Gong practitioners, approach the founder, and attempt to detonate the bombs on their bodies. In 2001 Jang obtained a confidential report stating that Falun Gong practitioners would hold a conference on January 13th and 14th in Hong Kong, and Falun Gong's founder would come to make a speech on the 14th. Jang immediately issued a secret order, to seize the opportunity at all cost for assassination in the territory under his own control. Right away, the PLA General Staff Department, the Ministry of State Security and the Public Security Bureau coordinated to create an assassination plan, codename 114. Nearly all the underworld organizations in Hong Kong and Macau, were involved in the plan under the CCP coercion and allurement. But, on January 14, Falun Gong's founder did not show up. The spies became restless with anxiety. Finally, when the conference was close to its end, the organizer of the conference read a greeting, transmitted from America by Falun Gong's founder to the conference's audience. The assassination plan had once again failed. Only then, did Jiang and Zheng realize that Falun Gong's founder knew very well about their assassination plot. With repeated failures of assassination attempts, Jiang grew more and more fearful. His task force furthermore fell apart, and its members kept meeting with inexplicable accidents. Assassination attempts ended without any result. Ever since the Falun Gong Experience Sharing Conference in Los Angeles in 2000, Mr. Lee has taken part in nearly all large-scale activities in America and has often spent a lot of time answering questions for his students. Since the start of Jiang's persecution of Falun Gong, Falun Gong followers around the world have been subjected to frequent harassments and threats by CCP spies. Two of the CCP's former officials, Chen Yongling and Hao Fengjin, chose to leave the dark past behind and seek refuge in Australia. They exposed all kinds of scandalous inside stories about CCP's persecution of Falun Gong. They advised all the CCP's spies overseas, surrender himself or herself, otherwise, they would submit the spy list in their possession, to the local governments. Chen Yonglin and Hao Fengjin stated that China has a formidable spy network operating overseas. There are over 1,000 CCP spies in Australia and Canada, respectively. They exposed the CCP's dirty deeds against Falun Gong overseas, utilizing all kinds of spy strategies and technology. The evidence confirmed China's extension of state terrorism from domestic to overseas. Every time when Jiang Zemin took a tour overseas, the Chinese consulate would pay the local Chinese to join the carefully engineered cheering crowd, to block the demonstrating Falun Gong practitioners and their banners. When visiting Germany in 2004, Jiang was so afraid the sight of yellow and blue clothing, trademark colors of the demonstrating Falun Gong practitioners, that he made a request to the German police, that the two colors be kept out of his sight. He was so suspicious and fearful, that he asked the police to weld the sewer lids shut, along the route his convoy was to travel. Jang didn't dare to enter or leave his hotel through the front entrance, instead, he used the garbage exit. He frequently changed his schedule and routes, causing frustration and drawing complaints from his hosts. Jang Zeman had overseas Falun Gong practitioners name list collected, and requested his host countries to bar these Falun Gong practitioners from entering the countries. Before he arrived in Iceland, Jang pressed the Icelandic government to do so. The move triggered a dramatic protest against Jang by thousands of local residents. On the day of Jiang's arrival, Iceland's largest newspaper ran a four-page ad, 
offering an apology to Falun Gong practitioners by 450 people including parliamentarians, making quite a stir in Iceland. Its title, in three large Chinese characters, says Sari. The subtitle in Icelandic that reads, An Apology to Falun Gong Practitioners. The statement reads, The Icelandic government made an erroneous decision by yielding to the dictator, Jiang Zeman, and barring Falun Gong practitioners from entering the island for peaceful protests. The Icelandic people feel ashamed of that decision, and express their apology to all Falun Gong practitioners. Another phenomenon that followed Jiang as he traveled, be it to Germany, Iceland, or the United States, was cold winds and dark clouds. During his stay in Iceland, Jiang visited a world-famous fountain near the capital. The moment Jiang arrived, half the water columns springing from the fountain became black with filth and dirt, while the sky corresponding to the other half was covered with dark clouds. One local resident exclaimed, I have never seen such black water coming out of that fountain. One year had passed since Jiang Zeman started the persecution of Falun Gong. Many lies and smears had been spread, and slews of attacking articles had been broadcasted. However, from the central government to local citizenry, all were against the crackdown. Jiang began to grow worried, with depression setting in. He had experienced a heart attack, and being taken to the hospital 301. Even in his hospital bed, Jiang was thinking about one question, how to turn the public sentiments against the so-called evil cult of Falun Gong, and incite widespread hatred. January 23, 2001 was Chinese New Year Eve, a day of celebration. But on Tiananmen Square unfolded a bizarre tragedy, several people were ablaze. The statement Xinhua News broadcast around the world in English, was that all five persons involved were Falun Gong practitioners. The group had allegedly attempted self-immolation on the square. Once broadcasted, the disturbing tragic scene stirred up tremendous anger in China. Animosity towards Falun Gong surged, such was the emotional power of the images the CCTV put together. The state propaganda machinery was accelerating with a vengeance. Personalities of every sort appeared on state-run television to condemn Falun Gong. Jiang could finally let out a long sigh of relief at seeing all of this. In the meantime, Many overseas media called in to question the veracity of the incident and the Chinese media account. A slow-motion replay the immolation footage, in which it was visible a police officer dealing a crippling blow to the head of Liu Chunling, the woman who died on the scene. A heavy object was in the officer's hand. Twelve days after the incident, the Washington Post ran a front-page story titled, Human Fire Ignites Chinese Mystery, Motive for Public Burning Intensified Fight Over Falun Gong. The article detailed finding of the Post reporter, who traveled to Kaifeng, China, the hometown of the slain emulator Liu Chunling. Surprisingly none ever saw her practicing Falun Gong. The CCTV footage of the immolation was riddled with inconsistencies. Beyond the matter of Liu being struck by an apparent policeman, how could dozens or more fire extinguishers and fire extinguishing blankets suddenly arrive on the scene? Who shut the close-up video footage? Why did the two organizers not put the blaze on themselves? 
Why didn't Liu Baorong show any signs of intoxication, after drinking so much gasoline? Shortly after this happened, a female reporter for CCTV's Focus interview program, was interviewing people at the Tonhei labor camp, about the self-immolation. One Falun Gong prisoner of conscience there, Zhao Ming, raised the question, why the Sprite bottle on Wang Jindong lap, supposedly filled with gasoline, was not even slightly deformed or damaged from the heat of the raging fire. The reporter, named Li Yu Chang, responded candidly, we shut the scene after the fact. If we knew it looked suspicious, we wouldn't use it at all. On August 14, 2001, at a meeting of the United Nation, the NGO International Education Development made a formal statement, which declared, their analysis concluded the supposed self-immolation incident in Tiananmen Square were staged by the Chinese government. The Chinese representative at the meeting just kept quiet, and didn't even bother to respond. Soon after the immolation incident, a popular novel that had been published 10 years ago Yellow Disaster was, curiously enough, banned throughout China. In Chapter 2 of the novel, someone pays off terminally ill persons to burn themselves, and then use the incident to frame opponents, in politically motivated persecution. Could Jiang and company have drawn inspiration from the plot in Yellow Disaster? Why the sudden ban? On the night of March 5, 2002, in Chongchun, the regular program of eight cable TV stations was interrupted, and replaced with 45 minutes broadcast about Falun Gong, including self-immolation or deception, which showed a slow-motion sequence of Liu Chunling being struck over the head by a police officer, while she was on fire. The next day the discussion of the matter could be heard at the office, on the bus, in school, at the supermarket, demonstrating the impact on people's minds of a lie being exposed. Zhang was furious when he heard the news about the TV tapping that night. He reportedly shook from anger for several minutes. He then reacted by pounding with his fist on the table, and shouting, send for Zhongqing Hong and Luo Gan immediately. Jiang's secretary, though already accustomed to his boss's temper, had never seen Zhang so mad and violent. Zhang ordered that combat readiness be declared in the military and among the armed police. Luo Gan ordered the police to investigate the TV tapping and crack the case within a week. Zhang yelled, shoot to kill any Falun Gong practitioner who was involved. Kill them without exception. I guarantee nobody will be held responsible for their death. Crack the case quickly. Otherwise, everybody steps down. On March 12, 2002, Falun Gong practitioner Liu Haibo was suspected of having sheltered those Falun Gong practitioners involved in the broadcast. Crunchung police arrested him, and tortured him to death during questioning. Chang Xiaoping, the first deputy party chief and the head of 610 office in Changchun, gave the following instructions, first, dealing with Falun Gong would not rule out bloodshed and killing. Second, secrecy was to be maintained at all costs to avoid harm to China's international standing. Third, no investigation on any Falun Gong followers' death. On March 24, 2002, police kidnapped Liu Chengjun, another Falun Gong adherent who had been involved. The police shot Liu in the legs, after he was already in cuffs and shackles, injuring him severely. Liu was tortured ruthlessly in detention. And during the court hearing, he was taken out electrocuted repeatedly. He was unlawfully sentenced to 19 years in prison. He died of maltreatment at the hands of police in jail on December 26, 2003.